Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to your word now, we ask that we may see Jesus. Come, we speak clearly that we may hear what your Spirit is saying today in your word. May we hear Jesus, and may we obey him for your glory. Amen. I've always wondered, in a good church like BTPC, how many of us are really just Sunday Christians? But then I mean, we are happy to think about this kingdom. We come to church, we pray, we listen to some preaching, and then we have a nice breakfast with friends at 11 o'clock. And we know it will end by 11 because we're going to have breakfast, right? So it can't last too long. And after we meet friends, we head home. The Christian part of life is done. It is all nicely contained in a Sunday box. With very little, by way of following Jesus and obeying Him as Lord of all, the rest of the week, the rest of our lives, and giving Him control of our lives and all of our time. Of course, some of you straight away thinking, eh, that's not me, right? I stay for the 11.30 Bible study. I go for the midweek Bible study. I even lead it. So that can't be me. We are happy to give time to God. But again, we are in control. We decide whether to give it or not. But outside of those times, life continues as before. With me, myself and I, as Lord. And we put Jesus back in his box. We need to take him out next Sunday, or we need something from him. Now, we want to encourage coming to church, going for a group Bible study, meeting others to chat and pray, all good things, very good things. But is that all Jesus wants from us? Is that all he commands us to do? And who really then is in control of our lives? This morning we'll meet a surprising Jesus. We will meet a Jesus who is Lord of everything. Jesus, the king who has authority we can hardly imagine. The king who has issued a command we must all obey. And the king who has a surprising priority that we must align our lives with. Yeah, if you're not a Christian, you're just visiting. Thanks for coming. I hope you will listen in on what it means to be a Christian. And it's in the three points on your handout. And we're going to focus on the first 11 verses in context of what we've read. The first point, accepting the king's authority. is going to go from chapter 5, verse 1 to 5, not 4, verse 1 to 5. Secondly, obeying the king's command, five, verse five, uh, 6 to 9. And finally, living out the king's priority, verses 10 and 11. First of all, accepting the king's authority. So imagine the scene. We meet Jesus on one of his many occasions preaching in one of the towns. This time it is near the scenic lake of Gennesaret. It is morning. The mist is clearing. There is a huge crowd. And people are elbowing each other and pushing each other, right? They're a bit like, you know, K-pop idols on crowds and like that. They want to get nearer so that they could hear this great preacher. And Jesus knows that, of course, there was no microphone to whip out. But when you, you get better acoustics, if you preach across the water, somehow the, the voice bounces off the water with clarity. So he sees a fishing boat nearby. It belongs to Simon Peter. So he gets in and asks Peter, put a little out from the land so I could use it. 
as a pulpit to preach to the crowds. Now Simon Peter, if you remember from last week, had met Jesus before. He saw firsthand in chapter 4 how Jesus could rebuke a fever and immediately his mother-in-law arose and served them. And perhaps he was starting to think about what it meant to follow this Jesus. He was a fisherman by trade and he was there that morning. He was doing the important job of washing the nets. You need to keep your nets in good condition or the fish. And he's still listening in to what Jesus has to say. So far, he's seen Jesus work miracles. He had heard his teaching. He's quite happy to help Jesus out whenever he could. So in verse 3, Peter is very happy to help out. Oh yes, Jesus, of course. I'll put out the boat a little from the shore. You can use it as your pulpit. I get the front seat. It's great, isn't it? It's quite precious. But I'm happy to let you use it as long as I'm in charge. It was okay to have Jesus in your boat. Oh yes, I'm happy to be of service this great preacher. But then verse 4, after preaching, after finished finish speaking, Jesus drops a bombshell on, on Simon Peter. It's an absolutely shocking statement to make. Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Go further out, Simon. Let me tell you where you will catch some fish. Hang on. I'm okay to let you in my boat to use as a pulpit, Master. I'm even okay to go out there if you want to check out the scenery. I'm okay listening to your preaching while I'm doing my important job. I'm happy to give you a little of my time while I'm washing my nets or let you use my boat. And I was really glad you healed my mother-in-law. Well, sort of. of. But don't start getting involved in my livelihood. It is my job, my business. Don't start telling me what to do in my area of expertise. Don't tell me what to do in the office, in school, in university, in the factory, in the home, while I'm traveling or on holiday. You see that in Simon Peter's response in verse 5? Master, we've hauled all now and took nothing. Don't come out of your little box, Jesus. This is my area, not yours. I'm the boss of the fishing company. I'm in control. Or do you start to recognize yourself in Simon Peter? At this part of Luke, we're starting to see what the kingdom of God really means. If he really is the Messiah, if he really is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, then he really is the Lord of everything. Everything in your life, your work, your home, your wallet, every area, every moment of every day. In these verses is a profound lesson in what it means to live with Jesus as Lord. What it means to call him Lord. How are we going to call anyone Lord? How are we going to call Jesus Lord if he's not Lord of every part of your life all the time? Many who heard him didn't follow Jesus. There were many in the crowd. They were straining to get near. They wanted to hear him. But many of the crowd never followed Jesus. What does it mean then to live with Jesus as king? Well, Luke is drawing out that idea for us. Chapter 4, verse 43, as Richman read just now, and Jesus said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also. 
because that is why I was sent. So we find Jesus at the lake preaching the good news of the kingdom. And now here in these verses, Jesus is giving Peter a one-to-one lesson in discipleship. A one-to-one lesson on what it means to live with Christ as Lord in the kingdom of God. We've seen last week in chapter 4, didn't we, that the kingdom is not about making people better when they're sick. It's not about delivering people from demonic powers. It's about making Jesus as Lord over the home, our family lives, the Lord over our jobs, our money, everything, even our futures. This is what the kingdom is about. How did the king rule? Over the powers of evil that stand against him, the hostile powers of sickness. He does it by the word of his power. It is by the same word he commands the fever to leave. It is by his word the demons are told to leave the man. It is his word and teaching that people are amazed at. And we saw the power of Christ's word. And Luke is continuing this theme. Well, how does Christ exercise his kingship over his disciples? He does it by his word. The king has great authority and his words have great power. This is what the kingdom is about. It is about the rule the king exercises over his disciples by his word. Which means his disciples, all his disciples, must obey his word. It's very obvious there, isn't it? It's there in verse 4. Jesus rules by his word. That's where the authority is. There is a word, a command, Put out into the deep waters and let down the nets, Peter. We are going fishing. And there is a promise. Let down the nets for a catch. Simon Peter, if you listen to my word, there will be a catch. I promise you. There is a promise to enjoy if we only would obey the command. Because the king has issued it. A king with a great authority. And you will not enjoy the promise unless you obey the command. And that is the test, isn't it? Will we obey the king's command? Second point, verse 6 to 9. Obeying the king's command. Let's see if Simon Peter will obey. What was his initial response to Jesus' command? Master, we've worked hard all night. And we haven't caught anything. Well, he will obey, but not without first objecting. Not without first drawing on his vast experience as a fisherman, a partner in the Zambedee Fishing Company. That in the morning, you can't get any fish in this lake. Not without first drawing on his immediate experience of failure of a few hours before. Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything. It's logical, isn't it? In fact, think about it. What Jesus is asking Simon Peter is to go and do something which to his mind is sure failure. Sure failure. We've done our best, Jesus. We've just washed the nets and now you want us to go out again and if we fail again, we've got to come back and wash the nets again. I've been on this lake since I was a little boy, Jesus. 
Ewark from Nazareth. What do you know about fishing on this lake? Well, Jesus had made the lake and he had made the fish. That's what Jesus knew about fishing on this lake. But you see, whether Simon Peter would obey the king's words would all depend on who he thinks Jesus is. If he was just a healer, if he was just a preacher, if he was just a man, then he's right, Jesus the carpenter from Nazareth would know nothing. But here is a growing faith, a response of faith in Jesus' authority. Second part of verse 5. But because you say so, I will lay down the nets. But because you, Jesus, say so, I will obey. And Jesus, at your word, because simply it is your word, I will do it. Obedience to Christ's command is dependent on Christ's person. The more convinced I am that Jesus is Lord, the more, the quicker I will obey. See, that's the essence of a growing discipleship, isn't it? And we, we will be tested when it goes against all that we've done. When what Jesus commands goes against all our expertise, the growing discipleship, the growing faith in our Lord, we see in Peter, the growing obedience is taught against our expertise. When is this tested against our own past failures? And what Peter is learning is that we should never judge what Christ would do by our own past failures. We learn that Christ teaches us through his word. He promises us something if we obey him. But straight away we think, it didn't work last time. We won't do it again. We tried our best. And those arguments, we say then we limit God's power. We limit God's power to our experience of it. When we base it against our own past failures. I don't know if you ever run an evangelistic event. It's part of my job. I run Bible studies at NIE. And nobody turns up. And you feel like giving up. You, or you spend hours preparing to tell your friend about Jesus. You've made sure you know you've booked a nice table, memorized your tract, found a way in to talk to him. You can draw the two way to this diagram. At the last minute, your friend he comes, he listens to what you have to say, and he says, "No, this is not for me." We tried our best, Jesus. But it hasn't worked. Whereas Jesus tried to train us in the discipleship that trusts the king, irrespective of what is done in the past. Even though we've tried our best, we need to obey Christ's word, can you see? And do what he commands. Now whether we do that or not will depend on faith, on who we think Jesus really is. Now, of course, Peter doesn't say, you are the Christ, the Son of God, yet. We've got to wait until chapter 9. But he starts to see that Jesus' words have power. So there is a change. Peter stops using Peter's logic. 
He doesn't limit what he can do by his past experience. He doesn't limit what he can do by his own expertise. He begins to understand who Jesus is. He starts to take Jesus seriously. He starts to believe his master's voice. Because you say so, I will let down the nets. Even when it seems foolish, it seems impossible. Because you say so, I will let down the nets. So would you continue to obey God's word in scripture? Even though you may have failed, even though you think you are the expert in that area. The commands are clearly given to what we should do, how we should live. Or will we say, I will do what you say. Will you say that? Because this is what living in the kingdom of God means. It means obeying Christ's word when we think we know better. When we've all we've done all that we can, when we've failed, our common sense, human logic says there's no point. The disciple, the kingdom person says, Because you say so, Lord, I will. This is what the kingdom is about. It is about Jesus' rule based on his word. It's not about coming to church to listen to a good preacher. It's not about healing. It is about obeying Jesus. This is what the kingdom is about. How does he exercise his kingship? By his word. How does he exercise his kingship in your life? It's by his word. And what Jesus says, Jesus does. What he promised, he delivers. All this requires our obedience. Look at verse 6. When they had done so, when they let down their nets, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And it was a tense situation. Quick thinking needed. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came. But the catch was so big that it filled both boats so full that they began to sink. You see, it was a catch of a lifetime. And the kind of catch a fisherman would talk about for the rest of his days. Now, this wasn't about the story, the one that got away. That's the other story people tell. This is the one that that day we caught so much fish, both the boats began to sink from a single haul of the nets. The single act of obedience from a single word of command from the one who is Lord of all. The catch was more than Peter could have imagined. They didn't catch anything last night. One fish would have been a remarkable thing. Here was the catch of a lifetime. That day, the fishermen learned to take Jesus at his word. To take Jesus seriously. To be to obey the word of command. And the disciple learned to trust the Savior. To trust him that when you obey, he will provide. He will keep his promise. But what is the command? What is the word we have to obey today? It is simply to reach unchurched people. Jesus makes it clear that is why this miracle is here. Verse 10, we'll go to it later. Here he explains, from now on you will be catching men and women. He needed to teach them, but when he says there will be a catch, there will be a catch. 
He shows it by the fish that morning on the lake. But here's something more. Something much more important for his disciples. From now on, you will be catching men, fishing them out of the water, casting your net so that they will be rescued from the very gates of hell and pulled into my kingdom, says Jesus. For that is his command. But where is our heart? Do we want to see the boats full of fish? If we can take that as meaning the churches, do we want to see BTPC or other churches filled with new disciples? No, we don't. Because we, we might say, wouldn't we? Why do we need more new people? The church is already quite full. I can't get to know everybody. It's not as cozy as I'd like it to be. Why do we need a second service? Why, why do we have to change things we've been doing all this time to welcome new people? Why can't we have it? All the things we've done since the 1970s. And what's this overseas mission business? We might say that. Where is our heart? If we did want to see churches full, we would be many more disciples of Jesus here. If we did, we would be praying and inviting our friends and family who do not yet know Jesus to investigate Christianity, Christianity explored. They would be here, sitting here, listening to the Gospel of Luke. I say we because me too, because I hide behind the fact that I am a professional. That I do this most of the time of the week. That I run the Christianity Explorer. Have I invited anybody? No, I say later. Next time I do it, I'll do it. Where's our heart? We will be speaking the gospel at every opportunity wherever we are. We would have our Bibles open with friends anywhere. And not just take it out of the box on a Sunday. Do we need to see this church so full that we would need a third service? Or do we start to say it wouldn't work? Do we see Jesus as Lord? That when he says, do something, we will do something. That when we hear the risen Christ say in chapter 24, 43 to 44, just before he leaves them to ascend to heaven, He says this in his parting words. This is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you, you are witnesses of these things. By the time we get there, we will be witnesses of these things. And we are already, that's why we're sitting here. Will we preach this message? Will we be his messengers, his witnesses to all nations and fill his boats? Simon Peter shows where his heart was and where his heart now wants to be. Verse 8. When Simon Simon Peter saw the catch of fish, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. He repents. He acknowledges that Jesus is Lord. He has learned the supremacy of Jesus. He has learned that when Christ says, do something, you do it. 
and it makes him aware of his sin. Just realizing how different Jesus is to who he thought he was, this carpenter from Nazareth, uh, the preacher. There's a change and it completely blows his mind. The expert fisherman is overwhelmed in presence of Christ of his own sin. I think in the context, the sin he repents of, the sin which Luke wants us to see, is most probably of his specific sin of his heart. When he says, verse 5, Master, we have toiled all night and we haven't caught anything. That sin of not seeing Jesus for who he really is, of keeping Jesus in the preacher box, of not believing the word of command, of not accepting his authority. Verse 8, then Peter repents. He fell down at Jesus' knees. Now he accepts the king's authority. Now he is humble. Now he is convicted of his own sinfulness. His deep unworthiness to be in the presence of the Lord. Now, of course, the last thing that Simon Peter wants is used to leave him, although he says, go away from me, is a deep conviction of sin that he should have no right to be in relationship with Jesus. But the last thing he wants to go from him, right, because he falls at his knees, he doesn't jump off the boat. He falls at Jesus' knees. He recognizes the king's authority. Well, see, that is the mark of spiritual health, isn't it? When one realizes his sins and comes to the Lord of Lords and says, Have mercy on me, Lord. The mark of spiritual health is not when you're doing well, you know, you're, things are going well, you're singing the songs, you're smiling at the storms, you have Jesus in your boat as your passenger. That's not the mark of spiritual health. No, this is when you're on your knees before the Lord saying, We are unworthy. We not need the sense of Christ's authority of being in the dust confessing your own sinfulness before the Lord so we can start to obey the Lord who commands. Or is there someone out there who is not a Christian? Or perhaps just a Sunday Christian who needs to have his eyes open to this Jesus who needs to have his ears open to hear the King's voice and his heart changed to obey the king's command. Well, lastly, this is what it means to follow Jesus. This Jesus in this world as his disciple. Third point now. We need to be living out the king's priority. Verse 10 and 11. Well, finally, becoming a disciple of Jesus means being part of his mission and trusting his provision. He tells us to go, to go with God in this great enterprise of fishing men. Peter is being asked to go with God. Jesus is uh, is teaching Peter on this lake to trust Jesus. Are you going to trust my provision, Simon Peter, so that you will go with God and be my disciple? So that you will be part of God's mission? Or do we start to calculate first? Do we say, wait until I graduate? Wait until I finish my MBA. Wait until I get married. Wait until I get kids and put them through university. Wait until I pay off my flat. 
In fact, wait until I retire. But then we will never go, would we? See, all great works of God start with someone going out on the limb in faith. It starts with someone taking a chance, taking a risk, willing to put it all on the line. Their livelihood, their security, their degrees, their happiness, their cultural habits, their likes and dislikes, willing to put it all on the line to be part of God's mission and to go with Him. And as we go, we trust in God's provision who can fill the boats with fish, who will fill His kingdom with men and women as long as we go and as we obey. Because once we start to calculate, once we start to think what we can control, what we can manipulate, then there is no trust in God. And then human logic will rule. Our expertise will rule. Our experience will rule. And we will not trust the king. You see, catching fish is very important, but it is not the king's priority. Uh, Don't we get wrong. Work is good. Work, make sure you eat. I eat. But that is not what we live for. Life in the kingdom is to go with God out there with his message to bring others into the kingdom. That is what life is about. Whatever your daily work is, we are to be serving Christ and his kingdom. What has God called you to do? To be an accountant? A lawyer? A teacher? No, he calls us to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. He calls us to be a Christian. Everything else, including our work, is second to that. Jesus calls us to be involved in his priority, to be fishers of men. So we should stop thinking, actually, about how I can be a Christian at work. You heard me right. You should stop thinking about how you should be a Christian at work. Because you are a Christian. It's not about how I can fit Christ into my job. Shall I let him out of this box in this area? It's about how you can fit your job into your Christian life. Because everyone is involved in the kingdom. Jesus is not meant for Sundays only, and maybe some areas on a weekday. You must remember that. Now, for some of us, it may mean leaving our jobs, leaving everything behind to be a full-time paid Christian worker. But even if you're not in full-time ministry, if God wants you to keep your day job, He wants you to keep your fishing boat, are you going to let Jesus be your captain? Are you going to live out His priorities at work? Will you take on being a fisher of men and women? Will you take your colleagues out to lunch and share the gospel with them? Will you invite them to your home? Will you use the money from your job to cook them a meal and tell them about Jesus? Or get someone, get someone to tell them about Jesus the next time BTPC runs evangelistic dinners. Will you choose to do something fun, badminton, or even fishing? Will you choose to do that with a non-Christian friend instead of your buddy from church? Or will you still keep Jesus in your church box? Perhaps some of us would like to stop putting Jesus in the Sunday box. We would like to take the king's job offer to be fishers of men. 
we would like to take Jesus seriously, take seriously his priority. Because Jesus himself tells us what he came for. Is there in verse 32, we read it just now, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He has a clear authority, he has come a priority, he has come for sinners. He has come to preach the good news of the kingdom so that sinners can be saved. Why else would he say to the paralytic, after all the effort of getting through the roof, as he stands there in front, sits there in front of Jesus, and Jesus stands next to him, and he says, friend, your sins are forgiven. He's not a healer. He is not even a preacher. Even the preaching has a purpose behind it. So the repentance and the forgiveness of sins will be preached. To call sinners through the good news. If we start to see Jesus' priority, we'll start to understand what, to, what we need to do when Jesus says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And if you're not a Christian, he wants you to repent from sin. From He wants you to stop saying you are in charge to acknowledging that this Jesus is Lord of all over my life and he is in charge and I better start living that way. If you're a Christian, he wants us to go out and join him in his kingdom priority. And don't you like the fishing analogy? Now, some of you may say, um, I try everything, right? I've actually spoken to every one of my friends and colleagues about Jesus. I've told all my life, but nothing. Well, yes, you're good, right? Good. But take a few lessons from fishing. I have hardly ever caught anything. I love fishing, but I've caught, I mean, I'm so bad that I bring a friend fishing, and her first cast, she gets a fish, and I'm there the whole afternoon, nothing. Nothing. Take a few lessons from fishing. You know what Jesus said to you when he said, I've tried everything, all my friends have heard the gospel already, for nothing. He would say, go and make more friends. That's what you do when you're fishing. You change the spot. You try new things, you change your equipment, you refine your technique, you keep the message the same, okay? The message you cannot change. When I go on holiday, I usually bring a small fishing rod and tackle, and uh, I bring my boys so that I've got an excuse to bring them away go fishing. Just in case there's a spot on the beach where the fishing looks promising. Just in case. If you need help in that area, do you have a gospel track on hand? It's all downloadable on your apps, app store. Have you memorized a short gospel presentation ready to be given when the situation looks promising? And most of all, do you depend on God? Because as we see, Simon and his friends and all the expert fishing techniques but yielded nothing. But with the word of Jesus, his powerful word, they yielded a catch of their lives. Peter would display the lesson he learned that day on the lake. A few years later, when the fishermen from Galilee would stand up in front of a crowd in Jerusalem and say, This Jesus whom you crucified, God has made him both Lord and Christ. And the Lord added, to that number, 3,000 souls. So start saying this to yourself. At your word, Lord, I will let down the nets. 
by your word, Lord Jesus, because you've told me to, by the preaching of your message of repentance and forgiveness of sins, people will be saved. You have to start believing it. And you have to start obeying the king. And you've got to start doing it. For Jesus the king has a priority. And he wants us to live out his priority. He has given us the Great Commission. It is a great enterprise, better than Simon's fishing business and the Zebedee Fishing Company put together. James and John, Simon and Pete, Simon Peter, they left everything and followed him. The Lord Jesus who calls the leper, who calls the tax collector, the paralytic, who calls the unclean, the despised, he calls the sinner, you and me, into his kingdom through the preached word, the gospel. Now, mind you, Jesus knows it's difficult, but it's not a do as I say. He's not a you know, do as I say, not as I do kind of preacher, right? His priority to forgive sinners will bring him to the cross. The Lord Jesus will be the crucified Messiah. The Lord who could have all the kingdoms of the world, who could have saved himself, would, stay, would save others by going to the cross and hanging there so that the sinner can be forgiven. The Lord Jesus left everything. He left the throne of heaven. He left the perfect relationship with God, the Father. He left it all so that you and I could be forgiven. Have you decided to follow Jesus? This Jesus the king with the amazing authority. This Jesus who makes a great demand on all of your life to leave it all behind, to obey him and follow him in living out his priority. Or is it Jesus you follow, the one taken out only on Sundays? Or Jesus is Lord of everything? And he wants us to be part of his mission. This is part of being in the kingdom. This is part of being a Christian. It's not an optional extra. It's not for the experts. No matter how difficult it would be. It is for, this priority is for all who bow the knee to Jesus. Who have left everything behind. And have decided to follow him. The old hymn says it best in these simple yet profound words, and I'll leave you with them. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. The world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back. No turning back. I'll pray for us before we sing. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. And if I thank you so much for your word, that we can be certain that this is the Jesus who has come with a great authority, with a powerful word, and a surprising priority. Forgive us when we hear his words and do not obey. Help us to see this Jesus, the Christ, the Lord of all.
and help us leave everything, whatever it is that is holding us back, to follow him wholeheartedly. For Jesus' sake. Amen.